Well, as you've probably figured out, I'm not Levi. Levi told me last Sunday that he would be out of town tonight, and I told him, don't worry about it, we've got it covered. And I didn't tell Chris that till this morning, so right before services down the front, I told him, says, say, Chris, did you know that Levi's not going to be here tonight? Should have seen the look on his face. That was worth a million dollars. I said, don't worry about it. We got it covered. <laughs> I thought he was going to hug my neck. No, I don't need that, do I? Mankind has always been of the nature to seek a God to worship. I don't know what that is about our nature, but we can look around us, of course, as the Bible says, see the heavens, the wonderful things that have been created. And when I was a child, my mother was a nurse, and she was helping a man who lived right up the road for us, just a little ways away, who had a reputation of being an infidel. And she asked him one day, she said, do you believe in God? And his response was, look around. Any man would be a fool not to believe there's a God. That just hit it right on the head. And in this effort to try to find someone that we can worship, You know, there are a lot of questions that goes through our minds. A lot of questions about things that happen in life that, to be quite honest, we don't really have all the answers to. But we turn to the Bible and we see the answers to those questions. In Psalms chapter 8, When I can, verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? That's been a good question for us to ask. And when we ask, what is man... First of all, to define that or really get to the inside of it, we have to ask three questions. And these questions have been asked or on the mind of men for ages. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? The key to the last two are really contained in the number one question. Who am I? Genesis 2, verse 7, after having, in chapter 2, after having created the whole universe and everything in it and created man, the seventh day, God kind of looked back at everything he'd done. And when he describes the creation of man, he says he made him from the ground... And he became a living soul. First of all, we've had the idea that, you know, 
even the word death by some people is defined as a separation of the soul from the body. In other words, they're two different things. And we think we're a body that has a soul. But when we study the Bible closer, we find out that we're really a soul who has a body. The body's temporary and the soul will be here immortally somewhere. So that, first of all, puts in line with us exactly who we are. A living soul. First of all, we're somebody that's very important to God. He talks about man and he said, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Good thing God can count high. Or for some people, he doesn't have to count very high. (laughs) Isn't that right, Wilbur? But the thing is that God knows us inside out. He knows everything about us. And then we talk about the value of man. The human body, scientists or whatever, have determined that the human body, as far as the chemicals and elements is made out of, is worth less than ten bucks. That makes us seem somewhat worthless. Jesus talked about this and his disciples were concerned because after he died and resurrected, spent some time with them, he was going to leave them. And they felt lost. But he said, don't worry. He said, you know, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground except your father knows about it. And he talks about that sparrow as a sacrifice. He said it's worth one farthing. Two sparrows, not just one, but two of them together are worth one farthing, which in their time was about a penny and a half. In other words, they're pretty worthless. And he says, not one sparrow falls to the ground except your father knows about it. He said, how much more do you think he's concerned about you? We might not be very valuable as far as dollars and cents our body, but Jesus has a real value that's been placed on us. A living soul. That simply means, first of all, that I'm very special to God. Just as a human being. Every human being is. We look at how special we are by what Jesus did. The Bible talks about for a good man, some people might die. But he goes on to talk about Jesus. He said, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That makes us very special, very important to him enough he would die for. Is there anything or anyone you would die for? Life is precious to all of us. The Bible says the whole purpose that he came to this world Everything boiled into one little line. Everything God does, everything God thinks is focused on that one purpose. And that purpose is to seek and to save the lost. He's talking about us. Brother C.R. Nichols, who was a preacher in Alabama years and years ago, a guy came up to him one day and he says, Brother Nichols, how come you walk around like you own the whole world? He said, I don't, but my father does. 
See, he was in touch with the value that God had placed on us. He knew that he was a child of a king. I'm special. I'm made in the image of God. We sing a song sometime, and I refer to songs a lot because music and, and songs, and I'm not talking about the songs you hear on your average radio station or a part of my life, have been since I was a little kid. I grew up listening to religious songs. Mother would get up of a morning and she'd put on a stack of 78 RPM records, those big vinyl ones. And that's what was in our house every day. I learned those songs so that 90% of them I can sing by memory. As they were going through that record, I could tell you which song was next when the last one finished. But music tells us so much. Even our church music today We sing a song called, Without Him. Have you ever thought what it'd be like to be without Him? The song says, without Him, I would be nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. That tells us what we are if we're not united with Christ. We're nothing. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The thing is, as a child of God today, we're still sinners. We were sinners before and we're still sinners. But Paul, when he writes a lot of the time, refers in the letters to the people in the churches he's writing to as saints. Now, how many people go around saying, I'm a saint? We don't put ourselves in that class, do we? But because of Jesus Christ, whether we believe it or not, that's the class we're in. We're saints, not because of anything we did, but only because of what he did. That's the only chance we have, not because of our deeds but because through his blood and his sacrifice, he gave us a fresh start. You know, when I was in school, it was a big deal to be the teacher's assistant. And one of my favorite things to do was to clean the chalkboard. Have you ever seen a chalkboard that's all written over and all dusty and dirty? And then they have a little pad that you use on it that makes it bright and clean again. And then the teacher usually goes up and messes it up again, but that's the way it is. But that clean chalkboard that we've taken all the dirt off of tells us what we are in the eyes of Jesus. You're clean. Not because of your own deeds or great things you've done, but because Jesus cleaned you. We have to be careful to keep that clean. As I mentioned, songs are real important to me. There's a song out there that is a very beautiful song. If you've never heard it, you ought to try to find it. And the name of the song is, Who Am I? How many of you heard that song? You ever heard it on the radio? It's a beautiful song. When I think of how he came so far from glory, 
came and dwelt among the lowly such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace. On Mount Calvary, take my place. Then I ask myself the question, who am I? Who am I that he would pray, not my will, but thine, Lord? The answer I may never know. Why he ever loved me so. But to that old rugged cross he'd go, for who am I? That pins it down. That tells us our real value. Who am I? Next question we come to, and I promise I'll get you out early tonight because I'm not going to talk long. I talk very long on Sunday morning class and I start coughing and Sandler has to go get me a cup of water. So we're not going to try to get to that point. Why am I here? That's a good question. In Ecclesiastes, the writer answered that question. Why am I here? Solomon was a man that prayed for wisdom, and he was a wise man. You remember the story about the little baby that two women were fighting over, and they, each one of them claiming, oh, that's my baby. You know, that's my baby. He said, I know how to solve this because of the wisdom God had given him. He said, let's just take a baby and cut it in half, and both women can have a half. Because he knew the mother of that baby would never allow that to happen. And it did. He had more money than you can imagine. One rich queen came to see him, and she had heard about how rich he was, and I don't know whether she's checking him out or checking his money out. And she says, they didn't tell me half of it. And when he got to the end of his life, he said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He said, for the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's why we're here. That's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. It's important that we realize the value of why we're here. Today's culture, it's not popular to be a Christian. We see a lot of countries in this world where Christians are persecuted, how they're treated wrongly just for being a Christian, nothing else. And it's almost getting to that point here in America. Christians are looked down on because there are so many people that don't believe in God don't believe in Christianity, and don't believe in this Bible. Too many of us in our society, as it's changed dramatically in the last few years, have become so busy making a living that we don't have time to make a life. And that's a big problem we have to deal with. We talk in our Sunday morning class a lot, and I try to stress the importance that living 
to be a good Christian, that loving God is not an automatic. It's not a situation where you believe and you confess and you're baptized. Now I'm a Christian. Oh, everything's wonderful. I just love God. I just love him to pieces. It doesn't happen like that, folks. Love and activities are learned things that we develop. That's why Paul spent so much time speaking to people about practicing certain things. In Philippians, he talked about if there's anything that has any value at all, let your mind set on these things. It first of all begins in our mind. We have to put our mind in the right frame to trust and to believe that what Jesus said is true. It takes a lot of practice. As I said about songs, I want to look at three songs, just the words to those songs tonight that are very important to us or really tell a good story. The first is number 695. That song describes how we learn to love Jesus. We talked this morning in class about when you husbands and wives first met. You know, we hear the phrase, it was love at first sight. But most of the time, it wasn't love at first sight. We are around that person. We learn to love them because we found out that we had a lot in common. And that's the way you learn to love Jesus, too. This song, Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that a time could ever be, when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. Yet he found me. I beheld him, bleeding on the accursed tree. And my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. We're learning. Day by day, his tender mercies, healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, less of self and more of thee. Higher than the highest heavens, deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered none of self and all of thee. That shows us how we learn to love God. We don't just wake up one morning and say, Woo, I'm in love with God. That's not the way it works. Be a piece of cake. If it did, it'd be wonderful. But it doesn't work that way. We have to learn to adapt ours to God's. We talked a minute ago about our value here in this world world is spreading the gospel. Jesus' goal, God's goal was seek and save the lost. That's what our goal should be. We sing songs about that, like seeking the lost. That should be our number one goal. There's a song that we don't sing. Most of us that are older may know it because it's a real old song. When in the better land, before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be 
If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet never mentioned him to me. That's a sad thing. We want to avoid that situation. Jesus wants us all to be saved. There's another song. I don't know whether you know it or not. Beautiful song. Number 556. These are things that we can expose ourselves to and learn how to love Jesus. Those of you who have different occupations, you didn't wake up one day and suddenly, I know how to be a CPA or I know how to do this or I know how to do that. You had to learn that over a process. And that's the way we do. This song 556 called There is a Sea. The first verse, there is a sea which day by day receives the rippling rills and streams that spring from wells of God or fall from cedared hills. But what it thus receives it gives with glad unsparing hand. A stream more wide with deeper tide flows on to lower land. And then the second verse talks about a totally different sea. There is a sea which day by day receives a fuller tide, but all its shores it keeps, nor gives to shore nor sea beside. Its Jordan stream, now turned to brine, lies heavy as molten lead. Its dreadful name doth e'er proclaim. That sea is waste and dead. And then the third verse asks us all a question. Which are you going to be like? Which shall it be for you and me who God's good gifts obtain? Shall we accept for self alone or take to give again? For he who once was rich indeed laid all his glory down that by his grace, our ransomed race, should share his wealth and crown. There are a lot of songs like that. Another song we're not going to look at is similar to that. I'm trying to think of the name of it. I'm drawing a blank. I could sing it, but try to remember it. But all these songs written by great writers, many of them godly men, and those, the Bible says, are there for us to to learn. When he talks about singing in the Lord's church, he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's how we get close to God. It's really important for us when we sing these songs of praise. They take on so much meaning. I know sometimes when I'm sitting here during a worship service, especially if I've got a sore throat and can't sing real good, I just close my eyes and listen to the words because those words can speak to us. That's my fellow Christians, my brothers and sisters that are singing so that we can share together.
how wonderful that is, and especially the singing in this auditorium because it sounds beautiful. I've been to little small churches when I was younger where it wasn't so beautiful, but it was still, I'm very sure, very pretty to God. The song I was thinking about, I knew I sent my little man after and he's back with it, Peace Be Still. And it talks about what happens. How the ocean was just roaring and Jesus was asleep. He didn't have him worried because he knew he was still in control. And in the second verse then it talks about the lives of people that are so destroyed, they're living like in a wild storm. Confusion, no security or anything. And then the last is that Jesus can do to our lives what he did to that storm. This blew his disciples away. They were scared. They thought that they were going to all drown. And Jesus said three little words that so changed their life when he said, Peace, be still. The God that we talk about is a God who controls the winds, the waves, everything. I know a lot of times we get concerned about the conditions in the world today. Oh, we're going to have a nuclear war. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. It doesn't matter. God's still in control. He's still running things. He's in control of everything just like he always has been. But God's number one goal is that we all be saved. Another song I want to look at, we don't sing it because it's a hard song to sing, beautiful song, is number uh, 641 called the 90 and 9. That's how Jesus feels about us. Sometimes we get so involved in learning to make the notes sound just right and make it sound pretty that we completely miss the whole meaning of the song. This song tells a beautiful story. There were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold. Away on the mountains, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine. Are they not, not enough for thee? But the shepherd made an answer, this is mine, has wandered away from me. And although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. For out in the desert he heard its cry, t'was sick and helpless and ready to die. Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way? that mark out the mountain's track. They were shed for one who had gone astray ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a storm 
but all through the mountains, through the thunders rent riven, up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. He had 99 sheep. They were all safe. But that one sheep meant his life to him. And he was willing to go get that sheep. You and I need to develop the same characteristic. We say, well, I don't see very many people, but why do you treat the people that you live with, that you see every day? Today's culture, it's really tough. It's not easy to be a Christian, but I guarantee you it's well worth the price. Where am I going? That's a question only you can answer. Joshua had to make a choice when he talked to the nation of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. Starting in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. The important thing, that's a decision that has to be made. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. You know, the older you get, you realize as you look back at your life all the bad decisions you made and you promise not to make them anymore. And the Israelites had made some terrible decisions. They had made wrong decisions. And he was emphasizing now is time to get them corrected. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice as to whether you want to serve God well, you want to serve Satan. All these things determine where am I going. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, we've got to depend on the higher power. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll take care of these things. As I mentioned this morning in class, we've got to learn to focus on a goal. You know, goal setting for people in certain industries is critical. What are we trying to attain? What are we trying to do? Where are we trying to get? 
And when we look at where am I going, then the question becomes for you, where do I want to go? You can go anywhere you want to. But as far as your soul is concerned, there's only two choices. You can't hang around here forever. We have to accept the fact that sooner or later we're all going to die. We see our friends that happening to them all the time. The people in the obituary columns are getting closer and closer to my age, and they've been doing that for quite a while. Some of them even a lot younger. And I look at their age and think how fortunate I am to still be alive. But it's really, really important that we set our goal. We talked this morning about Jesus, when he was walking on the water to his disciples, Peter, I'm sure, thought, man, that's pretty cool. I'd like to do that. He said, Jesus, let me walk on the water. Come on out, Peter. Well, he started off, and he was walking on the water, and then he probably stopped to think, whoa, I'm not supposed to be able to do this. He looked around, he saw the waves, and he saw the wind, and whoops, he began to sink. Why? Because he took his eyes off of his goal. He took his eyes off of Jesus. Every time or every situation that comes to, we heard a phrase, now we kind of put it down because it wasn't a good thing. People wore it out and they used it in the wrong way. When it comes time to make a decision, we need to ask, what would Jesus do? And they just abuse that to where it's now. You don't see it very much anymore. But that's a good question to ask. What would Jesus do in this situation? Paul said, be imitators of me. Why? Because I'm a great guy. No, he said, because I imitate Christ. He said, I'm trying to copy Christ exactly as much as I can. And he says, I'd like to see you try to copy me. Would you like people to copy you? Good question. As I say a lot of times in class, one of the most thought-provoking and shocking phrases we'll ever hear is when our child looks up at us, daddy or mama, and he says, I'll be just like you. Nine chances out of ten, they will. Because they're going to imitate you. They're going to imitate what they see you do. And they're going to try it. They're going to fail at first, but they're going to keep practicing, keep practicing, and keep practicing. Where if you're not real careful, they may learn to do it better than you do. Like the little child that's first going to ride a bicycle. Man, they fall. A lot of times they get scraped and they get scratches or bump, bump their arms. But what do they do? They get up and they try it again. I want to do it better this time. And pretty soon, they're flying down the road so fast you can almost see the sparks coming off their wheels. That's what we have to do. And that's how we can determine where we go. I've used the illustration before, but I have to use it again because it's such a good illustration. The story of Alice in Wonderland. Alice is going down a road and she comes to a fork. She has to make a decision. And she turns to the Cheshire cat who's along with her and says, which road should I take? 
The cat says, where do you want to go? She said, oh, it doesn't really matter. And the cat says, well, it doesn't matter what road you take then. That's the important thing. Where do you want to go? Until you answer that question, it's really hard to plot your course of how to get there. If just anywhere is all right, then you can just skate through life. Got it made. But we have to make decisions. And that's why, like Peter, Jesus was out in front of him. That's where he wanted to go, but he didn't make it. Because he started looking at everything about him. He look, started looking like we do sometimes. Well, my friends are doing this. My friends are... I'd really rather do that. Your choice. Life from beginning to end is choices and consequences. Decisions and the result of those decisions. If you don't like the consequences, you're going to have to change the choices. When we're looking at our goals, where I used to work, there's a sign as I walk by it on the hallway. It says, don't look back. You're not going that way. But that's what happens so many times. We start looking back. We start looking around. We get distracted. And we totally forget the goal that's out in front of us that we're trying to reach. We're going to sing a song. I don't know how we ever got started in a habit of doing that, but we did, so we're going to do it. I mean, in this song is a song that means the end, but it's also an opportunity for you if you're not able to be here this morning and need to take communion. It's prepared in room 106 during this song. You can go into that room and you'll be served. Offer any other need you might have. Let's stand and sing.